Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Mormons. This is uh, Kurt Frankum, your, I swear, I promise I'm a temporary host, uh, <laughs> but unless unless the people clamor for more Kurt Frankum, but I uh, haven't gotten any of those emails yet. And uh, Jennifer Roach, you're you're with back with us. I, I know, too much Jennifer Roach too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, you were an easy, easy person to ask again to come on here. And uh, we're hoping that Christopher Cunningham will jump on with us. Uh, he said he was game and had some <laughs> beyond interesting and unique topics to discuss, which yeah, he does. <laughs> we'll jump into if he jumps on here. But uh, you got a hard stop, so I thought, well, you know, let's not let's not wait. Let's jump in and and hear at least from from you and and uh, your perspectives and hear what is what you've seen go on in the week of, mm-hmm. of Mormons uh, <laughs> from your point of view. So, but let's just get caught up. Anything uh, anything new in your life, Jennifer? Uh, n- nothing to talk about. No, <laughs> just another, just another therapist appointment uh, on your calendar as yep. you're, as you meet with people. And, uh, is there, I mean, are you seeing like common themes come up in a lot of your, your therapist appointments or, yeah. So, and you're the therapist. We're not trying to dissect Jennifer's therapy, personal therapy. Although anyway. we could. <laughs> oh, that would be a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I see two really two different groups of clients. One half of my clients are members of the church and half are people who are not particularly members of any church, all kinds of just wide variety of issues among them. Among my clients who are members of the church, I mean, it's a pretty constant stream of like depression and anxiety, which are the Mm -hmm. bread and butter issues of every therapist everywhere. Um, and I, the uptick that I have seen in that group over the last like nine or 10 months is people who are looking back on their like pre-COVID life that was yeah. super involved in the church and lots of meetings and lots of stuff all the time. Now, having gone through COVID, trying to evaluate like what, what, what do I really want to spend my time? What do I really want to do? It's a lot of like helping them clarify values and what they want post-covid life is weird for lots of people yeah yeah and do you see like as the holidays approach uh do you feel like certain issues spike a little bit or yeah like certain Um, anxiety or with so i see a lot of college students or young adults and you know we've been working for months on like why are things this way? And what was going on in your family that sort of set you up for this? And the conversation I have with them every November is Thanksgiving is for eating turkey. Don't go home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and process your therapy sessions during Thanksgiving dinner. Go home and be oh, yeah. as nice as you can to your family. Come back and we can process anything, but don't like go drop the bomb <laughs> on them. Of Mom, I was unhappy when I was nine. Like, yeah, <laughs> trying to help them like process their past and do it in a way that they still get to stay in relationship with people who love them. Nice, that's that's a good tip. Don't don't do therapy at the Thanksgiving table. All right, just eat some don't process. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, nice. Fake it if you got to. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Right. So, all right, Christopher Cunningham, you joined us. We're we're already recording here because uh, Jennifer's got a hard stop, so we jumped in. Are you good with that? Oh wait, I already mute I muted you. I apologize. As you were getting set up. Does it allow you to unmute? I think you have to unmute. Oh, there we go. Oh, there you are. Sorry, I'm late. 
No problem. Happy to glad you. you're here. I want great advice from Jen as always. <laughs> nice. And uh, you are one of the founders and writers uh, at the Public Square. Any, and you've got some, all sorts of good stuff to. I don't even know how to frame it, but uh, we'll be talking about some interesting topics related to the Latter Day Saint world, right? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's me. We had a uh, yeah great week. Um, we had our birthday this week, and uh, Public Square turned to three. Nice. And the day after that, uh, I was writing about armpit sex at BYU. <laughs> so can I say that on this podcast? I'm not well, really sure. Where you just did. So <laughs> it probably uh, I probably won't put it in the title of the episode. <laughs> I don't know how the algorithms will take that. So no one uh, is searching the internet for the phrase armpit sex. By the way, like that's a, hey, maybe they are. Never mind. That maybe you haven't met enough of our human race. Well, I don't know if that's right or not, but I'm not going to find out. So it doesn't sound nice. very satisfying. Let's just put it nice. that way. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, we'll definitely. I'm, I'm intrigued by. Uh, why that would make it into the news feed and whatnot. But uh, I wanted to, we, we skipped last week just because I was on a 10 day church history tour. We, I rode a bus with a group of fantastic people all the way from Philadelphia to Kansas city at 2,200 miles. At least that's what the bus driver told us. And uh, saw every site. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say every site, but if it is a prominent site, I saw it and uh, it was a whirlwind. So my head's spinning, but I was determined to get an episode out this this week, and uh, that's what we're doing here. So, Christopher, have you have you hit up any of the church history sites? Uh, not in twenty seven years, so it's been a minute. Oh wow! So you were a little uh, guy, or what? Yeah, uh, when I was eleven, my family went on a vacation, and I'm thinking when my oldest is about the same age, I'll probably do it again. It was a wonderful experience, um, and uh, I find the spirit to be there quite a bit. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And Jennifer, I'm curious, your experience, you know, obviously you've baptized a few years ago and, and as, as you come in the last time we recorded, like Latter-day Saints just love to know, like, what, what did, what do you think about this? So I'm curious, like coming into a church, cause I, I would, with like this history, like I, obviously every church has history, but are we unique in how we handle sites and we make vacations out of them and whatnot? I mean, what, what, what's your understanding of it all? Well, I mean, it depends upon, so outside of the LDS world, there's lots of versions of church history, and it depends upon what you're talking about. Yeah. There are tours, certainly, that, like, go to the Holy Land, or sure, yeah. go if you're a Catholic, you're going to go to Italy, like, things like that. And it, I don't know the number, but a very large percentage of Protestant churches, at least in the evangelical world, their origin story is something like... Um, this cool young pastor and his wife started a Bible study in their house three years ago. And now our church is here and oh, that's yeah. the entirety of their church history. You're right. <laughs> um, it really, it really isn't like they're, they're painting that in a certain way and they're, they're limiting a lot of details when they tell the story that way. But the church history tour would be like to the dude's living room. So that's not very interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 And to me, just visiting these sites, obviously, it's incredible. I've been learning about these sites all my life. And I'd visited, you know, I'd been to Nauvoo before and to Palmyra before, but this was my first time in Kirtland. Mm -hmm. And it was remarkable to, you know, actually see the Kirtland Temple, walk through it, um, you know, especially what we believe happened there. Uh, we had a, a 70 give us the tour from the Community of Christ Church. Oh, so cool. I, <laughs> I, I, I felt honored nonetheless. He was a great guy, uh, you know, tried to be funny with all sorts of jokes. And he was funny at times, but... Um, and I was, I mean, just these little things that you learn, like I didn't realize, you know, we, 
I believe this doctrine would come in section 10 where, you know, uh, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery had the vision of all these prophets and the Savior himself to restore these keys. And the communion of Christ, they don't believe in that section of scripture. And so he he was giving the tour sort of saying like, well, in, in, in your tradition, you believe what happened here was this. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, that's remarkable. You don't believe that? Like, anyways, so just, le- you know, learning those little nuanced things that you don't always pick up in a typical, you know, doctrine covenants mm-hmm. here. It was a lot of fun. So, and I must say related to TWIM, uh, I, we stopped in um, Hamilton, Missouri, the, the quilting capital of the world where Al's, uh, Al Doan, his family have the, uh, what's it, uh, Missouri Star yeah. quilting or something, right? Yeah, quilter. That's like Mecca Have you been right there? there? I haven't been there. I really want oh, to. Oh, man. But I buy is, online all the time. <laughs> if there was a Disneyland for quilters, I mean, maybe they need a roller coaster or two, but uh, it was remarkable to walk through those stores. And, uh, and I, you know, I sent, <laughs> I didn't, uh, I failed to give Al a heads up that I was coming to town. He doesn't live too far from there. And so I'm texting him pictures of like, Hey, I'm standing out in front of your store here. And, and anyway, so w- I missed Al, but uh, it was cool to make my, my journey, my pilgrimage to the, the Holy land of Twim, which is Hamilton, Missouri. So it was pretty cool. All right. All right, Christopher, we have to jump into it. What is this? What is the fuss with? What is the fuss with armpit sex at BYU? And what? what I mean, I don't. I have no context for what's happening right now. So this is good. I, I'm. I have no idea. Well, so last week or the week before, there started to be some rumors on TikTok that there was an epidemic of the sexually transmitted disease crabs that was happening at BYU, but people were finding it in their armpit hair. And so the speculation based on this TikTok rumor was that in order to uh, avoid violating how a very strict version of the law of chastity, I guess, that they would you can imagine it. I don't have to describe it. Okay, yeah, people. we can yeah. take it the rest of the way. No, yep. no, no, Chris, <laughs> I don't know what this means. Keep going. <laughs> oh, boy. And so I think, like all reasonable people, I, I rolled my eyes and moved on with my life. Uh, <laughs> but apparently there were some uh, people who are felt a little bit differently over at Rolling Stone magazine, which is a very influential publisher, and they decided to run a major article about this last week where despite acknowledging in the first paragraph that they had done absolutely no additional journalistic reporting on this to confirm (laughs) any of the details. They they took the TikTok rumor and ran with it, huh? And ran with it and decided to talk about it. Uh, And so my article was, was just kind of pushing back on, on this, this kind of prevalence or this attitude we sometimes see from journalists at major legacy publications, that it's okay to kind of leer at Latter-day Saints, that because we don't have much cultural cachet, as McKay Coppins put it recently, that they can kind of put us in this sort of metaphorical zoo to sort of set us up and look and point and laugh. And because our standards around sex and chastity are very different, I think they kind of say, oh, it's impossible for people to respond. Mm-hmm from sex. So obviously there must be something to this rumor, right? They just believe it's true because they think our our values and ideals are so absurd. And so it's it's really mocking and I think it's kind of sad, honestly. Yeah. Um not not for us 
who seem to be doing just fine. Honestly, our STD rates are exceptional compared to the nationwide average to the surprise of absolutely no one. Uh, but, uh, but just for these other people who are kind of like getting some thrill out of, and I think we get used to it, right? Like soaking was this thing a little while ago. Yeah. How, how often does like NBC news ran an article about our underwear? Like it's weird. It it's weird and it's a little creepy and they should stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, and, and here's the thing is, Maybe there was one instance or these are such outlier instances of, you know, as far as like soaking or even, you know, you've heard rumors of people, you know, going to Vegas and doing a drive through wedding just so that they're, you know, in the in the bounds of marriage in order to act out sexually. And sure, maybe, maybe somewhere, someone, you know, but it's so minuscule, maybe even one instance that then it gets sort of perpetuated this rumor, especially on platforms like TikTok, and then it runs away. And then a magazine like Rolling Stones, it's, uh, you know, provocative enough to create an interesting headline. And it really is sad what, how they, how it, how they view us as a religion, which they never do it to, you know, insert any other religion. Uh, out you there. know, it was so interesting reading this article and thinking back to like the New York Times's coverage of polygamy, mm-hmm. right? where it was, oh, there's this sensationalized thing and let's look down on it. And all of their sources are people who had left the church and were like, oh yeah, this definitely could have happened. That sounds like them, mm-hmm. or even I did it. And I think it's telling that the people who whose perception of the gospel is such that, oh yeah, this makes sense, are also the ones who it didn't make sense for them to stay in the church. Mm-hmm. And so for them, something wasn't working with the gospel if they were kind of viewing it in a way that that's the way people act. And yet outsiders are being like, oh, they have the inside track. They really know what it's like and they're willing to talk. And so those end up becoming the, the sources. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think there was a single um, practicing Latter-day Saint that they cited in the entire article. I was talking to one member of the church tell, trying to explain this article I was working on to them. <laughs> and they're like, wait, hold on. You're responding to a Babylon B article? And I'm like, no, it wasn't. That's what that's the whole reason I'm doing this. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was uh, that's what I was writing about this week. I found the Rolling Stone article so incredibly insulting to the female BYU students, especially, as if they could be um, coerced or tricked or talked into the idea that this is a normal way to go through a relationship that this is what people do. Like it, it makes the, there's almost this angle of, well, of course the boys are trying to do whatever it is that they're going to try to do. And these girls are so dumb. They let them like, hmm. it, oh. yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm really not that familiar with, the credibility or level of standards that Rolling Stones has, but I mean, they are generally respected as a journalistic, you know, resource, right? Like, or, they or are. They're a pop culture magazine, right? Like yeah. they're not doing hard news like the New York times, but they're well respected and their stuff is distributed far and wide. Yeah. They're a good publisher and they should be above something like this. It, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, one of their other big stories that they had to do a serious retraction on was about a very conservative church in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Churches legitimately has some issues going on. Um, and they claimed um, that murder was one of those things the church was accepting because of someone's behavior. And oh, wow. 
And they had to retract that because that isn't true. Like this might be a crazy church. And I actually think it probably is a crazy church, but they're not condoning murdering their members who misbehave. <laughs> so I, I, yes, Rolling Stone has credibility, but I wouldn't listen to them on religious issues. There's a history there of getting some serious things wrong. Yeah. And this is sort of like the, the lay of the land, it seems right now with online just articles, whether it's journalistic or not, where it's all about the click, right? And so there's got to be some provocative headlines or content that's going to get that click. And um, and so naturally, these credible sources are going to, and we've seen on you know both sides of the aisle and on yep. both both areas of bias or all sorts of biases out there that people lean a little bit provocatively in how they put things out there. And I'll probably do the same with this uh, with this uh, the title of this episode without holding. I'll hold back the uh, the armpit sex uh, reference, but uh, but nonetheless, like that's if we can just get them on the page, mm-hmm. and then then we'll worry about the credibility from there, right? But yeah. sometimes you lose it all. Here we are. What anything else we haven't talked to, uh, referenced about this uh, Rolling Stones article? Did they retract anything, or is it no. looking like they will? No, they you know they haven't said any anything else, and. Uh, it hasn't taken off like some have. It certainly hasn't become a, a viral article. I think um, the substantial response to it has kind of been the same way we have, just kind of a rolling of an eye and, mm-hmm. and oh, brother. But there's really no way to measure how people who um, who are just coming across it and not responding to it, how it's affecting their perception of Latter-day Saints. And that does make a big difference. So. Yeah. No, no, nothing, nothing big coming off from this article. Just, just kind of the weekly, the weekly cycle. Awesome. Well, keep at it as you, uh, your, the net title of your article is why is national media obsessed with Latter-day Saints sexuality? So. Yeah. So it kind of looks at the long history of that. Oh, nice. Very cool. All right, Jennifer, what, uh, any article or story that, uh, that you want to jump on? Yes. I want to talk about Eliza R. Snow. She is my girl. Love it. The Church Historians Press has been in a multi-year project to publish the discourses of Eliza and of Emmeline Wells, who is, Eliza is the second president of the Relief Society and Emmeline is the third. And so they have been, did I get that wrong? Third. Uh, That sounds right. Third or fourth. I think it's second and third. Um, They have been publishing their discourses and just this last week published their diaries to go along with that. Um, And the the cemetery where Eliza is buried, it's the Young Family Memorial Cemetery or something like that, got rededicated last week because the church has done a whole bunch of improvements to that site. Have either one of you ever been there? It was news to me that there was a... A young family cemetery. It makes sense now that they've they've stated that, but uh, I had no idea. It is um, maybe half a mile up from Temple Square. Um, it's in the middle of several apartment buildings. <laughs> These apartment buildings are sort of all around it, and you can look down on the graves. Um, but it, it, it wasn't necessarily in disrepair. It just wasn't maybe to the same standards that you would expect um, a church history site or presumably Temple Square when it's all done to be. Uh, and so now it's all pretty and nice and um, Eliza is buried there. Um, I, I will tell you this. Last summer, I, I was in downtown Salt Lake. I had about an hour to waste um, before an appointment. And I thought, 
I am going to go do the tour at the Beehive House. I had never done it before. And I am a huge fan of Eliza. And she lived there in the Beehive House when she was sealed to um, Brigham Young. She was previously sealed to Joseph. Um, Brigham is her second husband. And lots of the women lived there. And I, and I was curious, like, what room did Eliza live in? And the tour guide, who was a very kind and sweet woman, who I'm not making fun of, but she said, oh, her and her husband Lorenzo lived in this bedroom. <laughs> I said, well, Lorenzo is her brother, so I hope oh. she wouldn't live in that room with him. <laughs> and she was guiding the tour? She oh, says, wow. no, I, I'm pretty sure she was married to Lorenzo. Like, nope, that was her brother. <laughs> it was probably her first day. Let's let's maybe, assume that maybe. she was very very kind in many other regards. So Eliza has has a new newly dedicated cemetery site. Um, the Church Historians Press website on the both of them, Eliza and Emmeline, is fascinating. You can read Eliza, who is, she's an incredible believer in the healing power of both prayer and medicine. She goes around the she goes around Utah Territory. Um, almost berating the women at times of like, why don't you all know more about obstetrics? Why aren't you all learning more science? Why aren't you all becoming better at delivering babies? Um, We're going to have to have people from the outside come in and do this for us because you ladies won't study. So she, she's real fiery like that. Um, Emmeline is fascinating because she, in all of her writings, all of her diaries, she has an incredible melancholy and she is sad a lot. Hmm. However, she spends years and years in church service pushing through her. She has a lot of reasons to be depressed that aren't relevant here. But she pushes through all of that and does the very best that she knows how to do in her day and serves and serves and serves and serves and serves. And serves. The biggest depression of her life comes when she is released from her position and she just falls apart. Um, but all that's in her diaries, too. And she relies on her faith to get through it. Um, I actually would love to do kind of a, a psychological profile of Emmeline and, and how she got through her depressive issues um, without the help of modern therapy. Right. And I'm a therapist. I help people get through depression all the time. She didn't have any of that. Yeah. She got through it with her faith. Um, all of that's available. Church Historian site. It's, it's beautifully, beautifully done. Really accessible. Wow, that's great. And it's encouraging to see, you know, obviously all the work that's been done with the Joseph Smith papers, it seems like the history department's really made an effort to, you know, do more, bring up more res- uh, history and, and writings of some of these other important uh, figureheads in our history, especially the women. And yeah. uh, it's, it's really faith promoting. The article that the Historians Press puts out has several women historians who are sharing about their love of these historical women. It's really, it's, it's super cool. If you, if you still think that women don't have a role in this church, I don't know what rock you're living under because like, Mm -hmm. this is women doing the work of uh, women historians today, doing the work about women, major figures back then. It's super cool. Yeah. Really cool. Church history department is on fire. You're exactly right, Kurt. They're doing some of the strongest work, really in the country historic uh, on historical issues. And we're just so fortunate to be the beneficiaries. I mean, both of these women are just absolute powerhouses mm-hmm. and they weren't lost to history necessarily. We always knew they existed, but it's like their whole lives and passion and missions and thoughts. Like we're just getting to discover these amazing people 
And it's all because of the work they're doing there. We are very, very fortunate. I, um, I will also you know, give a shout out to one of the women historians on that team is Anne Berryhill. Um, Anne married into the Berryhill family. They were my neighbors around the corner when I was growing up. The oh, wow. only people I ever knew who were members of the church in childhood or adolescence. And they are a huge reason about why I had kind feelings towards the church at all. Hmm. And she's one of the historians. So there you go. Wow. That's cool. There it comes real full circle here. (laughs) So is this like, is this going to be like a book we see in the distribution center or desert book? Or is it, I mean, what did you get an impression what this, like the physical component is? That's a good question. I don't actually know the answer to that off the top of my head. Um, the, the digital site, you can see it, it's done really similar to the Joseph Smith papers where you can see their like old fashioned cursive handwriting and, yeah. and see their minute books and, and see all that kind of stuff. But then they also give you a transcription so that normal people can read it. Um, I don't know if that's going to be turned yeah. into a book or not. I would buy it. I might be the only one though. I don't know. And I know they're pushing a lot of these to the gospel library, um, like the, What's it called? Their book. Uh, I had it right here. The uh, At the Pulpit, the 185 oh, yeah. Years of Discourses by Latter-day Saint Women. Like you yeah. can find all of that in the in the gospel library. And so yeah. uh, I would say most likely it'll end up there. And uh, I'm sure they'll have print options available for those those that like the, to hold the book and yeah. read it and highlight it and that type of thing. So hey, very cool. Cool. You brought that book up, Kurt. Hidden secret if you're preparing a sacrament meeting talk right. from the pulpit. I mean, they're just saying phenomenal things. They're quotes that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Mm. You'll end up sounding, well, I won't say you. I end up sounding way smarter than I am when I just <laughs> crack that book open and go to the index and find whatever I'm talking about. They are not well-known yeah. talks. So if yeah. you want to be unethical, you can just pick a talk out of it. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then at the end you can scold the the audience like i can't believe why don't you, you know more about yeah. obstetrics that's right <laughs> hey we give all tips here at this week in mormons even speaking in church tips so uh not that we endorse all of those but you know, jennifer's thoughts are her own so Whatever, Kurt. <laughs> nice nice all right christopher any uh article uh you want to jump on well uh I know you wanted to get to a Jana's piece, and I mm-hmm. certainly have things to say about that. So you want to jump into that one? Yeah. What, do you want to give us a summary of uh, kind of what she was getting at? So uh, Jana Reese, a popular commentator, uh, columnist for Religion News Services, uh, runs a blog called Flunking Sainthood. Um, she wrote a piece for the Salt Lake Tribune, about celebrity culture. There was, I think it's a book that she had recently read looking at celebrity culture and some Christian faiths and uh, the downsides of it. And she was taking some of the lessons she'd learned from that and applying it to our church and ways that were insulated from some of that and some ways that, in her opinion, um, that we were susceptible to that. Yeah. And, and even, you know, the everyday Latter-day Saint can rattle off Joel Olstein and even, you know, back in the day, Billy Graham or whatever it is, you know, these, these figures that were, that were like rock stars in, in, or who are rock stars in the you know Christian world or, or whatnot. But Jennifer, I'm curious your perspective of what this celebrity of pastor celebrity or however they frame it. Uh, what, what do you, how do you see it? 
I read Jana's article with a lot of interest because this is a huge problem in the evangelical world. I actually, I kind of laughed a little bit because yes, she does point out some, just some legitimate points about how it still happens in Latter-day Saint culture, but they are so minor and rare compared to, to evangelical culture. Cause it's not just your, your Joel Olsteins and your Billy Graham's who become the rock star. It's, um, the the young hip pastor and oh, the worship yeah. leader and the girls who sing on the worship team and anybody who is in a kind of a leadership position. Um, if it's a church more than 300 people, I guarantee you they have that culture it, within their own church. And there are people in their own church who are treated like celebrities and there is nothing worse for a human being's spiritual development, like their own spiritual development than to be treated that way. Like that yeah. everything they say is gold and they can do no wrong and they're, they should always be given deference. And they, it, it is, I lived in that world on both sides of that and it is destructive as can be. Um, you don't see that. It, I mean, my experience in three wards is vast. <laughs> so in my vast experience. Yeah, do tell, do tell. Do tell. Um, I don't think bishops are getting treated like, like rock stars. And that's a really, really, really good thing for both the congregation and the bishop. Right? Maybe there are some exceptions to that. But yeah. I, think it, I think it's pretty rare and it should be really rare because it's an awful thing. Yeah. You know, and the, man, I have so many thoughts and when, cause when I, and I don't typically, uh, read, you know, everything that Jenna writes, not that I have anything against her. I've interviewed her before. She's a wonderful person, but, um, this one, I definitely jumped on be obviously because I live and breathe the leadership world with leading saints. Um, and I have thought a lot about this of just, and I, and it's easy to say, Oh, our church is different or the dynamics are different in our church. Um, or they're unique. And then I just talked with, a, you know, I'll talk with any evangelical or someone from other church, but oh no, we experience that same thing. But like, I feel like our dynamic is a little bit different because if I want to be a pastor, I can't just be a pastor. If I want to be a bishop, I just can't be a bishop. And so we often tout that as like, yeah, that sort of protects us from that person who wants to, uh, you know, stand, stand on his pride and, and shine and get the love of others. But I think this, the dynamic of we're not, we're not, a, a, it's not a celebrated celebrity, but it's a chosen of God celebrity. Mm -hmm. And I felt it a lot, even as a bishop and in the stake presidency, like even this feeling of like, I'd show up to a random ward of my stake in the stake presidency and they would, you know, they would state my name, you know, and it was almost this like awkward, like, Hey guys, let's just move on. Like most people don't even know what this concept of presiding means and whatnot, but and then you could feel, and this is maybe, uh, of course, uh, more Utah culture is when I was bishop and I was in a business setting and somehow somebody found out that I was a bishop, you could feel the shift in the dynamic of how I was treated, what they said to me. They'd always bring it up like, oh, how was you probably had a busy Sunday, right? I don't know. So, um, but we definitely have an issue, even though there's not like, um, even, I, I feel like the celebrity is different in our church. There's definitely this, and, and even on the general level, it makes me 
uncomfortable. Like I, I, you can, I, I'm, I'm in on standing when President Nelson enters the room. Like I'm good with that. Or when he leaves the room, I can go for that. You're pushing a little bit, but when we stand, when like a visiting seventy comes or an apostle, I'm just like, I just want to go bathe. This is weird, guys. Like. Mm-hmm. And and to see how, you know, I've been in the room when apostles have visited and to see like the entourage around them. And this isn't to the fault necessarily of most of the time the apostle is sort of oblivious of what's going on is and how people are like <laughs> sort of being a barricade between them and ap- the apostle. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes weird. You know, people are hyper focused on, you know, is, is the chapel clean to the point of, you know, they're making people cry as they yell at them. Of, you make sure you get over there, you know, whatever it is. But anyways, I'm going on too long. Uh, but th- I do feel like there's, are, there are these unique components. And I think Jana talks about some of them that pedestals are alive and well. And we like to pretend that callings don't matter, but then we recite all the previous callings a person's had, you know, before they speak and things like that. But I don't know what, what, thong, what other, what other thoughts come to mind? Um, two, two other thoughts for me really quick. And then Chris yep. will jump in. There's a, a young missionary serving in the ward where I am right now. And he has a um, LDS famous last name, um, and I took him and his companion to lunch on Saturday, mostly because I wanted to ask, like, what's it like to walk around, like, with this very, very, very recognizable last name? Um, like, how do people treat you? And he was completely oblivious. He's like, I don't know. Everybody's nice. And his yeah. companion is like, no, 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 I'll tell you. <laughs> and and even, like, I mean, this is just like a, an 18-year-old missionary boy. Yeah. Um, even he gets treated with a little bit of deference and like, Oh, what is your, what is your relation to this person? And are you a direct descendant and, and blah, 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 blah. And, and the kid himself luckily is oblivious to it, but his companion mm-hmm. is like, Oh no, it changes when he's around. So yeah, there's that. The, yeah. the, uh, the other piece I think that protects us from some of this is, um, I mean, we have really boring music. Um, right. I mean, and, and, and I, yeah, yeah. In a evangelical church, it's guitars and drums and a fog machine, and, yeah. and girls in super cute clothes, and it, there's lights, and it's real shiny, um, and it's a concert, right? And like right. the entire envi- the physical environment has been set up in a way that you are like looking up to them and 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 singing along in this really emotional experience. If that's not the recipe to create celebrity culture, I don't know what is. So our like worn out old boring hymn book um, also kind of protects us from some of that stuff. I'm incredibly grateful for it. Yeah, that's and it's sort of like the this two edged sword, right? It's like, well, you know, they're they're the music's boring, but the other side is the music's boring. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, nobody's up there doing the the this thing to to yeah. be to Leading be worshipped, right? Yep, yep. Any thoughts come to mind, Christopher, about this that you haven't mentioned yet? You know, listening to your story, you know, you're right that that it does happen, and there's kind of this this sort of deference or or awe. And I think one of the great protective factors that Jana mentioned is that you don't really get to choose that. Because you could imagine how that could be really seductive for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That they want to kind of be the one whose name is being said. They want to be the one that people look up to. 
And uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say it's impossible for people to navigate and build relationships, but there's a lot of structural difficulties that make that happen. And of course, <laughs> if you want to lead the church, you don't have to, you know, get together with your wife and start a Bible study and 300 people later, you leave a church. I mean, it took President Nelson 90 years, you know, <laughs> the ultimate long con, I think she called it if you were trying to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and so I think that is really protective. But something I was surprised that she didn't bring up is that outside of called church leadership positions, especially as faith has moved so much to the Internet and to social media, there have been people who have sort of taken on Latter-day Saint celebrity roles. And I feel like me, someone who comments on these issues publicly, I'm extraordinarily sensitive. And I hope that people who listen to me are always feeling like they can call me out and compare what I'm saying to, to prophets and to the scriptures. Because, yeah, I think there is an appetite for this. And we do want these voices out there in the public square. But there are people who become not calling celebrities, but Latter-day Saints celebrities. And when we have voices and podcasts and websites and followers, um, it can produce some of that, that culture. Uh, there was a, a little bit of a dust up a few weeks ago with a major Latter-day Saint influencer who was being analyzed for his public comments. Mm-hmm. And he was just aghast that anyone would label him or say, you know, how, how in line his comments were with, with the church. And I'm like, no, 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 that's where a big problem comes up. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm above this kind of commentary from you plebeians um, that, that no, anyone who's going to enter into that space and have followers, we need to be extraordinarily accountable so that we don't create kind of a secondary world like Jen described. I think we're vulnerable to that right now. And institutionally, we're protected from it. Mm. But it's a little bit of a Wild West. And Latter-day Saints are experiencing that Wild West there. I did want to throw a couple things, just some fact check things on Jana's article that I was a little surprised the Salt Lake Tribs editors missed. Um, One, she said, uh, you know, we seem to believe the prophet can't lead the church astray, that old adage. I thought that was a little surprising because that's canonized. Um, so it's not just an old adage, um, <laughs> you know, in the Doctrine and Covenants right there. Uh, official Proclamation 1, if you want to look it up. Uh, so I thought that was a little bit weird. And then she said something about how some research has come out that says uh, President Nelson is being referenced a lot more in general oh, yeah. conference. I thought that was really interesting. And then she had this line, she said, you know, if the prophet is being cited more than the Savior, then who are you really worshiping? And if the prophet was being cited as much as the savior, that would be a real concern. But I was looking at the last like three years of conferences and it's like seven to one. So the savior has been referenced like 2000 plus times. President Nelson has been referenced like 300 plus times. So I thought that was funny that uh, she kind of threw that out without explaining that, that we're not even close to what her concern is. It would be a legitimate concern if that was what was happening, but it's, it's not. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, man, that's a. I I think it's worth talking about and and exploring just sort of our our traditions and um because there is, I mean there are the moments where it sort of gets out of hand where I'm uncomfortable and I'm thinking, yeah. like we're we're sort of pushing this a little far and uh, you know, but uh, that's that. So Jennifer, did you hear that uh, that the chosen 
writer. He he quoted right. the Book of Mormon. Did you hear? What he did? That's crazy. <laughs> he did. He must he must be a baptized, card carrying member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I think, I think so. his baptism's on Saturday. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel bad for Dallas Jenkins. He's trying to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Christianity has only split up into, what, 4,500 sects that he has to try and simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Back. So I, I do feel bad for him. But I don't know, we can get into it in a minute. I, you know, I, I do have some sympathy for those who ha- have concerns. Yeah. So basically, I guess the the allegation and, and it's a few uh, uh, news sources have picked it up is that the in the trailer of this upcoming chosen uh, or upcoming season of the chosen season three, uh, Christ, the Jesus figure says something like, um, you know, I am the law of Moses. And there's a scripture in the book of Mormon that where Christ calls himself the law. And so people are connecting the dots in in the realm of conspiracy, right? Uh, anything I missed on that, Jennifer? You know, it's so fascinating because if you actually look at the context of what, is happening in that trailer. The religious leaders are accusing Jesus and saying, you better take back those words or we're going to invoke the law of Moses against you, meaning we're going to kill you. And it's a great comeback line. We're going to invoke the law of Moses against you. I am the law of Moses. Like it doesn't even, yes, there's some crossover with what is said in the book of Mormon, but it's not set up that way. It's not some direct quote. Yeah. The people who the, the the evangelical Protestant Catholic people who are really upset about that, and they are really upset. Um, I don't know that most of them would have known that to be any reference to the Book of Mormon whatsoever, unless it was pointed out to them by somebody who had some kind of axe to grind around that. Like the line is just like in context, it doesn't even make sense. I, what I wish I knew is like, who is this person who very first got upset about this and has whipped three million other people into being upset about nothing? Yeah, and I think Dallas Jenkins should be a hero of Latter Day Saints. Like what he's doing to uh, reach out and build bridges, and you know, he's being very clear that he very much disagrees with certain tenets of our our theology. Um, but the fact that I've interviewed two of his uh, top executive producers who are Latter-day Saints, both former bishops, and uh, the fact that they could come together and create such a phenomenal series that um, evangelicals included around the world, along with the other Christian world, is is loving this series and is having such a positive impact and turning people to Jesus. And man, it is, uh, I, I just appreciate everything Dallas Jenkins has done, and I have no problem if he doesn't ever read the Book of Mormon or join the church, or I just appreciate what he's doing. There's a, there's a quote from him in the article, the Desert News article, where he says, like, I haven't read the Book of Mormon. However, I have sometimes said something, and someone will point out to me, oh, in the Book of Mormon, they say it this way, blah, 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 blah. And then I will go and read it, and I'm like, oh, look, there it is. Like, we have this in common. Uh-huh. Like, that is such a lovely attitude. Um, it it's it's very much along the lines of the interview that you did with the Hello Saints guy. Yeah. Of like, let's just have some conversations about this stuff. And it's an entirely different way to approach um, Latter-day Saint, non-Latter-day Saint conversations that have been so awful for so long. Um, I, I, I hope the, the 
the band of Dallas Jenkins increases. May we yep. have more of him, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think my first take was really similar to what you guys had said. Oh, this is a long stretch. You hear this thing about the law. I, I wouldn't even have been able to cite that scripture from the Book of Mormon for you, uh, you know, a week ago. But I think in my experience talking to presently practicing evangelicals uh, about theology, their big take on the church is that we believe in a works-based gospel, that for us, the way we are saved is by following the law. And I think Latter-day Saints, you know, I think we can roll our eyes a little bit at that. And I think there's a lot of education that can happen on what our actual doctrine is. But I think for them, so when Jesus is saying, I am the law, I think that's why the red flags go off. It's like, oh, this is an overly legalistic version of the Savior. Whereas I think for us, we see that line and say, see, we look at this law as this terrible, oppressive thing. But Jesus is Jehovah of the Old Testament. He was the one who gave the law of Moses. Like this is not Jesus completed the law, but he also gave the law. Like this is not at odds. Yeah. Like I think sometimes we see in some Christian theology. We overcame it. We moved past it. But Jesus, in his love and his wholeness, like we can understand the law through that lens. And so I, I think I get where they're coming from and, and kind of being like, oh, don't say Jesus is the law, right? That's a, you know, we don't have, we don't get saved by the law. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, yeah, of course you're right. And yet I, I think our understanding of the law and Jesus and the fact that they're not competing forces, I think, is really, well, it's helpful to my testimony and my understanding of the gospel for sure. So I, I think, I guess my hope is, is that all of this will maybe help people understand a little bit more about how we see those those two ideas together. And I don't think it's, I don't know, I, don't, I, I first thought it was this weird conspiracy about this random scripture. But as I, as I listened to, to more, I was like, oh, you know, I get why this would be a big concern to them. And it's because of these, you know, these things that aren't true about our doctrine or exaggerated about our doctrine, perhaps is the best way to say it. Um, but, but at least it's kind of coming from this place of, of trying to help people know that Jesus saves. And that's certainly an important message. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> an important message. The, the most important message. <laughs> it's it's the it's message. an important message. That's right. Yeah, one of those. Wear your seatbelt. Jesus saves. <laughs> Love it. Well, and you can see a clip of Dallas Jenkins uh, responding to these uh, these uh, allegations and whatnot. So, and go check out the trailer, season three. I'm a big Chosen fan, the Chosen fan, and uh, I'm looking forward to another season. So, Jennifer, I know you need to bow out here in just a few minutes. Uh, so, anything we missed, but or anything you want to bring up, or did you get your get your opinion out there? All that needs. I that is all I had. I mean, we got to talk about armpit sex. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, we bring the hard hitting news. So for sure. All right, Christopher, just you and I now, uh, do you want to, uh, you've got another article here, I think as, as far as a B, something related to BYU. Do you want to unpack that? Sure. It's not my article. It was just well, yeah. I mean, an article you referenced that you brought to the table. You didn't write this article. Sure. Yeah. Um, so great news, I thought, uh, this week. Um, you know, I think we all know about the church's um, very strong stance on uh, political neutrality, especially on uh, partisan politics. And I think sometimes um, BYU gets a, 
got sort of pigeonholed. Anyway, a big survey came out on ideological political diversity on universities, and BYU was one of the most balanced uh, universities in the whole country uh, in terms of what its politics were like on campus. And I thought, <coughs> not only is that great as an advertisement to the world that the church is, uh, you know, lives by what it says, but also great news for all of us who are trying to find places to send our children to college and knowing that there's kind of this, you know, the academic uh, heart of the church is is in good hands, that it's not swinging to the extremes like so much of the world is. Sorry, I was muted there. Uh, so I'm curious what, like when they say ideologically diverse, like what yeah, factors are they, are they looking at? Um, so they used a couple things. One, they were looking at self-identified um, affiliation or ideology. So Democrat, Republican, independent, uh, liberal, moderate, conservative. And so they would look at that and then say, okay, who has the closest balance of, gotcha. the, of the various groups on campus? And then they also had some down, uh, down list beliefs that people could kind of talk about to kind of you know, say, oh, these are the beliefs that are associated with these, you know, self-identified categories. So that's how yeah. they did that. And I wonder, like, what, why is that so? I mean, because you would, you would assume that it would, it would be not that diverse just because of a religious background, very conservative, you know, history and, and upbringing for a lot of those uh, who probably attend BYU. But any, any reasons why? You know, I, uh, I think one of the real uh, things we've seen over the last six years is a lot of Latter-day Saints uh, disaffiliating from the, the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they had a, well, I mean, we saw from the data that a lot of Latter-day Saints really struggled with President Trump, his candidacy, and then his presidency. Uh, and so I think politically you end up having a lot of members of the church sort of uh, leave there, either to become moderate or independent without having any home or... Um, you know, associating themselves more strongly and voting for, for Democrats. That's my situation. Um, and so I think, and, and, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I think as people are, are kind of saying, okay, here's our beliefs and we're now applying that to what's happening in the public square and you're seeing shifts in what's happening, I think it's natural that as these shifts are happening, that people are finding that their religious values are being expressed in different parties now as the party platforms have shifted over the last, you know, over the last decade or so. So yeah. I just think that's kind of natural. And, and then one of the things we've seen as part of that shift is that politicians um, are responding to that. They're recognizing Latter-day Saints as, um, as an important voting block. And whereas, I guess when I was a kid or young adult, we were just kind of these default Republicans that were just, you know, get them to the polls. Now, in swing states like Nevada, where I'm at, or Arizona, like these are major purple states, and Latter-day Saints are big populations of that. And so you're seeing sophisticated political campaigns now targeting Latter-day Saints and trying to show them how their platforms are responding to their ideology. And so you're seeing this fight over them, and I think yeah. it's natural that if they're fighting over us, we'll kind of end up going both ways a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess diversity of, of thought is always something worth, uh, I, I don't know. It feels encouraging. I, um, 
and so yeah, I think we'll see how where where it takes us in our future, especially as some of these students uh, become more prominent in our in our communities and our you know in politics itself, and and it'll be interesting to watch. So, all right, Christopher. Well, um, what anything coming up on the public square to keep our eye out for? Uh, what's coming up uh, this week on public square? Uh, we uh, we had our piece today on uh, kind of the scary stories that people believe about Latter-day Saints. I have a piece coming out soon about the end of repentance and uh, and how some of our therapeutic ideas are intersecting with religion. Um, mm-hmm. the, the book I'm writing right now is on the intersection of faith and, and therapy. And um, one of the interviews I had, the gal had some really interesting ideas about that. And so I'm working on that right now, and that should be out in the next couple of weeks as well. Nice. That sounds like a definite uh, leading saints interview, and I'm sure we'll do we'll touch on it uh, here. But yeah, it is it is fascinating. Even myself, I've had a huge shift. You know, when I think back to my time as a bishop, how I handled the repentance process, and now having a much deeper understanding of mental health, of therapy, of you know natural processes that people go through, and and shame, and these things. Like I would handle things dramatically different because of that. So. Uh, man, I'm intrigued by this research that you have coming yeah. up. So. Well, I'm intrigued to hear what you, you have to say. Yeah, I'd be open to share my experience. So I've talked to clients and I've talked to a few therapists, but you know, I haven't talked to any religious leaders about oh, yeah. the similar process. So that is definitely mm-hmm. a hole in what I've done. So yeah, that'd be great to chat. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, they can check you out. Is it publicsquare.com, right? Uh, publicsquaremag.org. Oh, um, mag.org. Publicsquaremag on, on Twitter and publicsquaremag on Instagram. Our Instagram's growing great. We just started a few months ago, and uh, our team doing the images are fantastic. So you want to check that out. And are you doing any TikTok dances on TikTok, or you haven't gotten that point yet? (laughs) No, uh, we haven't quite jumped into TikTok. Maybe maybe one day when I stop having Legos on the floor and get a little (laughs) nice backdrop, I'll talk to you. There you go. Well, hey, we would... We would much rather you uh, researching and writing for sure. So uh, definitely check out Christopher Cunningham uh, at publicsquaremag.org and uh, his good writings there and all the writings that they publish over there. And and, uh, Christopher, we'd love to have you back for a third time. So uh, we'll be in touch and uh, shout out to Jennifer Roach. We appreciate her joining us as well. And uh, we're back in the saddle, folks. No more 10-day church history tours for a while for me. And uh, we're, we're, we're behind the scenes. We have a lot of workings happening here at This Week in Mormons that uh, will create some consistency and higher quality hosts, like uh, not including myself. So, and, but Christopher, I didn't, I didn't mean that to be a, you know, I'm not. You, well, you I was All right, folks, we'll see you next week on Bye, This Week in Mormons. Mormons.